Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. What is up? It's your boy Dean Thomas here, and thanks for stopping by and having a listen. This is my new show, as if I needed a new fucking show. But this show is called Dean's Got Answers. Answers to what, you ask? Well, answers to everything and anything. In this show, I'm going to break down the questions you have about the UFC and provide my answers. And it might not be the answers that you're looking for, but I don't give a damn. And that's not why you're tuning in, right? You want to hear from me, Dean Thomas. I'm a UFC vet, coach the biggest names in the sport, co-star of Dana White Looking for a Fight, host of the Dean Diaries. I'm an analyst. I'm a podcaster, comedian. I've done it all. You name it. I've done it. For this show, I'm going to keep it nice and simple. Each episode, I'm going to tackle three questions about the UFC. I'm going to give you my take, my opinion, and my answer to each. And I'm going to hit on everything from the fun and wild moments the sport has to offer to the inner workings of the sport. No question. Off limits. And you know what else I'm going to do? Each episode, I'm going to slide up into my Rolodex and holler at a homie for a second opinion. I'm going to be bringing the biggest names of the sport to see if they agree or disagree with me. On this episode, I'll break down and answer the following questions. One, what is up with all these bromances in the UFC? Two, how important is a fighter's coach and corner to their success? And three, what the fuck is up with... And I'm going to talk about some crazy moments in the sport... And this week, I'm talking about the Hamza Chemaev and Gilbert Burns fight because that was crazy. So turn up the volume, kick back, and take heed to the words I speak. Let's go. So first, what is a bromance? Now, I know that sounds kind of intimate. Woo, 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 woo. Well, it kind of is, to be honest with you. But the reality is it's a special bonding relationship that you may have with another fella that you would pretty much do anything for. And I got to be honest again, if you have one, you need to hold on to it. You need to cherish it and be proud of it because especially in this goddamn cutthroat business that we are in, it's filled with snakes and rats. So if you got somebody that you can hold on to that you can have a bromance with, you need to embrace that and you need to embrace it with your heart. I have a bromance. I got a bromance with my boy, Matt Sarah. You know what I'm saying? We are like Mel Gibson and Danny Glover. Crockett and Tubbs. Bert and Ernie. Even though one was yellow and one was orange. But listen, the height is about relative to about the same as we are. But our bromance goes back over 20 years. It started back with the Abu Dhabi trials when Matt Sarah choked out my roommate, Paul Rodriguez, and I finals of the Abu Dhabi trials to punch his ticket in the Abu Dhabi. Later that year, his roommate, Rodrigo Gracie, broke my arm at a Naga super fight in Danville, Connecticut. So that was when our history started. Then, fast forward three years later, 
me and Matt got, we fought in Atlantic City, February of 2003. I remember when I got the call, I said, they said, Matt, Sarah, I said, hell yeah. However, we was actually supposed to fight before that, but he got into a little beef, had to pull out. So the fight didn't actually happen until February of 2003. And in that fight, it was a back and forth scrap like Tom and Jerry. And we was going at it. And I thought I executed my game plan perfectly. But when they announced the winner, they announced Matt Sarah's name. And it broke my heart. I was saddened by it. Then when I went back to the dressing room, as I'm sitting down with my team, my head is down. I'm like, how did this happen? Like, I thought I won the fight. Dana White comes back into the room and he says, Dean, you won that fight. And I said, yeah, Dana, I thought so too. He said, no, no, you really won that fight. The judge screwed up the scorecard. He wrote your scores where Matt's were and his where yours are. And you actually won the split decision. I was like, wait a minute. So then I actually won the fight. I got the tattoo to prove it. It says, hey, Matt, I won. I got the tattoo on Dana White looking for a fight. Now, our bromance, do we still have beef after that moment? We had beef. We were on the internet. And let me tell you all something. Don't ever mess with one of them Long Island boys. The entire area of Long Island will turn on you. They turned on me. It had me scared. So for that reason, I'm never messing with Matt Sarah again. But we were on Tough Four together. And we actually didn't squash our beef and our bromance didn't officially start until we were at the casting call for Tough Four. And I remember walking around with Matt. We were walking around the mall. We were, you know, auditioning to get on the show. I didn't expect to get on the show because it was like Nate Diaz was, Nick Diaz was supposed to be on the show. Uh, Frank Trigg was supposed to be on the show. Matt was already shooing because like, you know, he had a relationship with them and he had a personality. So I was just out there. I didn't think I was going to get on the show. The only thing I had going for me was I kind of had some history with Matt. So anyway, we're out in the mall and Matt says, hey man, what is going on with us? Why are we even beefing? And I said, you know what? I don't know. Next thing I know, we became friends. I end up getting on a show. We become roommates in the house. I end up cutting his hair every day, making his coffee every day. And what did he provide for me? I don't know. Nothing really. But I mean, Matt's funny. So like, you know, that, that counts. And then we became like homies, like instantly homies. And when our bromance started. And then it really didn't cultivate until looking for a fight came around. And I was remembering how that happened because the other gentleman who was on the show, he had had beef with Matt and Dana, got kicked off the show, and they needed a guy right away. Matt said, what about Dean Thomas? Dana called me up, and boom, there you know. Now me and Matt, we're like brothers. We've been doing a show together. I'm going to try to go see him actually in a couple of days, and that's like my brother from another, and I would jump in front of a bullet if somebody shot at him. A paint bullet, but regardless, I would jump in front of it. And I have all the respect and admiration in the world. So that's my bromance with Matt Sarah. But the most special romance in all of MMA right now is, of course, Hamza Chemaev and Darren Till. Now, I have no idea how this thing got started in the first place. How did these two even hook up? It's a weird and awkward combination. I mean, how do they even communicate? One of them speaks English. And the other one is Darren Till. Apparently, they started talking online. And Darren Till went to Sweden to train. And Till claims that Hamza pulled a knife on him. I believe it. 
because when you meet these guys, they're both crazy. And that is the special bond that they have together. And so for that reason, this bromance makes a lot more sense the more I consider it. Because that bond that connects them is their appetite for violence and unyielding quest to be the best. And that's both the day they both have that. And they're perfect for each other. And I'm going to tell you why. So Till was once exactly where Hamzat is now. He was the undefeated prospect that everybody thought was going to be the next big thing in fighting. And guess what? It didn't work out for him. And whatever he did wrong, Hamzat can learn from that. He can learn from the mistakes that Darren Till made. And Till having Hamzat around, he can benefit from having that hunger, that aggression, and he can remember what it was to be like to be the hammer that Hamzat is now. Because again, Till was one step. And they're both outgoing, unfiltered, and wild. And when I asked Hamzat on the weigh-in show, I said, what is your relationship like with Till? He said, that's my best friend. And that happened in such a short time. And I got all the respect for those guys. And I wish them the greatest and lasting romance that they could ever have. But nothing compares to the most toxic bromance in UFC history. And that is Colby Covington and George Masvidal. Now, people seem to forget that this is real life with these guys. MMA is a sport. The UFC is where people work. And when you cross the lines and offend someone's reality, you run the risk of taking your work home with you. And that is exactly what happened in this situation. But let's start from the beginning. I was there. I was coaching at American Top Team when this all started. I remember when Colby joined the team. Colby joined the team with a wave of recruited wrestlers at the time. And this was about the same time when Masvidal wanted to be a better wrestler because he admired the the aggression and the drive that wrestlers had. And that was something that he was kind of criticized for in his fighting styles that he never really had that. So when the wrestlers came, Masvidal was instantly attracted to that wrestling phenomenon that had just joined American Top Team. Now, and they both benefited from each other's relationship. You know, Colby was, you know, hanging out with Masvidal because Masvidal had fight clout. He was like a popular, he was, you know, he was the guy, he was the man in Florida. So Colby kind of benefited from having that clout. And Masvidal benefited by having the wrestling from Colby. So they, they both benefited from that mutual relationship. The problem happened when Colby was accused of not paying one of the coaches that Masvidal brought in. Now, obviously, they all trained at American Top Team, but Masvidal had some of his own personal coaches from Miami that he would bring in, and he would work with those guys. And apparently, Colby didn't pay him for one of the fights. Already right there, we're talking about beef. That's legit beef right there. That's no longer, you know, work and trash talk from, you know, WWE trash talk. We're talking about legit beef when you don't pay somebody. And if you know George, he's as loyal as they come to his people. So he stood up for his guy. And he said, listen, you got to pay my guy or we are going to have a falling out. And that is exactly what happened. And they had the falling out. And, you know, the funny thing about the whole thing is that George is a reasonable guy. Like, if you really meet him and sit down and talk to him, he is the same. Like, I've known him 15 years and he's always been the same guy, even though he's 
a popular fighter now he's always been the same guy he's always a loyal street guy you know like he's as loyal as they come he's a reasonable guy i believe that if colby was just had said hey man i'm sorry and then paid the coach i think this whole thing would have been settled but colby took the different path colby took the wwe path thinking that nothing was going to happen to him thinking that hey you can't do nothing to me i'm immune to you know street violence let's settle this in a cage but like i said earlier mma is a sport this is their job but when you offend somebody in real life you run the risk of taking your work home with you and that's what happened and colby got ran up on in a restaurant and he was warned about it and i'm actually surprised that it didn't happen sooner by somebody now i'm not condoning that i'm not saying it's right i'm just saying that this is the way it happens when you deal with people in the street when you deal with street people street things happen to you and if you're not prepared for it you know you can't expect nothing else so that was a relationship a bromance that went completely sideways that probably didn't have to if colby had just paid the man and apologized now a more common or maybe a more uncommon recipe for disaster of a bromance came in the form of John Jones and Rashad Evans. And this probably hurt Rashad pretty bad, I have to say, at least more than John. Because Rashad is a true pioneer, he's a Hall of Famer, and he's mentored a lot of young fighters from Kamar Usman to Michael Johnson. And he probably even, if you were to ask John, back in the day was a mentor to him as well during his run and they were close john considered him like a big brother and like most gyms there's an unwritten rule we're not fighting unless there's a title on the line when you say that you say that kind of unjust because there's never really a lot of situations where there's a title on the line and you have to actually fight and so it's easy to say that but I can tell you firsthand is that when there is a title on the line and you have to fight somebody who's on your team, things get weird. I remember that happening with Robbie Lawler and Tyron Woodley, where they always talked about, oh, man, we might fight one day. We might fight one day. And then when the contract came and it signed, got signed, things got weird and they went a little sideways. So you have to be prepared for that. And in the situation of John Jones and Rashad Evans, things got weird right about the time about UFC 128 when Rashad was supposed to fight Shogun Hua. He got hurt, couldn't take the fight. John Jones steps in, takes the fight. And then all of a sudden, I don't know if it's jealousy or he was just feeling himself or this was the time he kind of came into his own. But, you know, he says some pretty negative things towards Rashad Evans and, you know, very, and I don't want to even say negative, but very, very, dismissive things towards Rashad not something that you would say to somebody or about somebody who you would consider a mentor or even a friend and then that's when the beef started that's when Rashad left Greg Jackson's started his own camp and what can we say listen that might have been a great thing because because he left and started his own camp we got the black zillions out of that and because of the black zillions we got Kamaru Usman and Vicente Luque two top 10 welterweights in the world right now so it might have actually worked out better for us that their bromance actually went a little sour. But the reality is this. It's always easy to say that you can fight a teammate for a title. It's so easy to say that when there's no title on the line. It's all cherry blossoms and roses. But when there's a title on the line, it gets very difficult for everyone involved. So to answer your question, what is a bromance? 
to love. It's having compassion. It's having a friend. It's having a homie. It's having somebody by your side in this ruthless, cutthroat game of MMA where you can't trust nobody. So it is important. And you, it is special if you have a bromance. If you can find someone to have a bromance with, do it. And all these guys that have had bromances, I applaud them. And I feel sorry for the ones that went sour. Bromances are good for MMA. And when you see a bromance, applaud them. Question number two. How important is a coach to a fighter's success. Coaching is very misrepresented and often misunderstood. You know, some guys think they could just put a towel on their shoulder and call themselves a coach. Wrong. Couldn't be more wrong. Now, generally, there are two type of coaches. There's developers and then there's groomers. The developers are a coach who can get somebody from the beginning, from, from the very start, and teach a guy how to fight. And that's very different from a groomer who typically takes a fighter who's already pretty good, who knows what they're doing, has a good foundation that they got from the, the, the builder or the developer. And then they groom them, they polish them and they make them better. And oftentimes it's very difficult to be good at both. There are some coaches out there that are good at both, but typically you're one or the other. Now, coaching is done in the gym cornering is completely different and when you are talking about having a corner it can be the coach it could be the coach that you most vibe with it can be the coach that makes you most comfortable but whatever and whoever you have in your corner the most important thing is relationship because you have to have a relationship to where what you're saying resonates with the fighter to be able to get the best performance out of them and not try to teach them anything right then and there. And this is something that gets often misunderstood with coaches and especially fans, is that it's very difficult to teach a fighter how to fight in the corner. It's What you have to do is you have to be able to keep them relaxed, controlled, and fighting their best, fighting, being able to get the best out of them. And that comes down to relationship. And you develop that relationship in the gym. And it's very important that this is understood because if this isn't understood the coaching and the fighter success will drastically will drastically be hindered by that relationship fighters don't listen often and i hate to say it that way but it's true fighters are hard-headed as hell they're like five-year-olds they oftentimes just want somebody to confirm what it is that they want to do anyway. That's not a good coach. That's not a good corner. As a good coach in a good corner, you have to have trust. The trust has to be reciprocated both ways. I believe that relationship and trust are the most important things that a coach can have, whether it's in the gym teaching a guy or whether it's actually at a fight about to get a performance out of them and you need to corner them. But listen, what do I know? I'm just Dean Thomas. I'm just one opinion. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to reach out into my Rolodex and I'm going to holler at a homie, Ray Longo. Ray, what's up, brother? 
My man, how's it going, Dean? Always good to see you. One of the good guys in the sport. Well, I appreciate that, man. You you want the good guys too. But what I want to get into now is, well, first let's talk about Peter Yan and Aljamain Sterling. That was such an anticipated fight, very controversial from the first one going into the second one. Knowing what happened in the second one, what was the game plan going into the second one? Or knowing what happened in the first one, what was the game plan going into the second one? Well, look, the game plan was let's not stand in front of the guy, no taking pictures. You know, I want the movement. I want the angles, setting up the shots. And I think that's what he did for the most part. You know, people are saying he's running backwards. I thought it was beautiful footwork. He negated the forward pressure of Peter Yan coming, you know, for the most part, especially in the first round, just doing his imitation of Frankenstein. Aljo showed angles, a couple of good body kicks. He just posted a beautiful elbow he landed to his head. Um, and that, that was basically it, you know, mix up the attacks. Uh, yeah, base, basic stuff, you know. But again, Jan is good when you, you meet him in the center and stand there. You know, that's what he wants. But he's very linear, right? You don't see a lot of side-to-side movement. He will switch his stances every so often, but... Aljo uh, really wasn't be, wasn't there to be hit, and you know he's an elusive fighter. Now, as a coach, how disappointing is that for you guys to have a strategy, a game plan, him to execute it, win the fight, and then be criticized for that? <laughs> well, the team, you know, you said it to being in. I've been around so long. I don't think anything could bother me at this point. You know what I mean? It's not like I'm a newbie and I'm like, what the hell's going on? This is, we know this is part of the game and MMA fans in particular, it's just absolutely out of their fucking mind. So it, 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 it's, it's all part of it, you know, but uh, the only thing that matters is we're happy. Aljo's the champ, you know, I don't know. That's it. I mean, I, I, I did that. The other stuff, as they say, is noise. And I did at this point that, that nothing could bother me. I, I, I'll make fun of it and I'll talk about it. But it, deep down inside, it has no bearing at all. I, I nothing it, you know, if that makes any sense. What do you think some of the more important qualities of a good coach are? Look, you know, Dean, my style from day one was always to be emotionally involved in the fight, right? And emotionally involved with the fight. It's like, you know, we're at communions, confirmations, gradual, you know, it's like that whole thing. So I think when you build that type of culture, uh, the guy, they, they really want to win for more than just themselves, you know? So I was always more on the psychological level, not really, you know, technically I, I, you know, I get it, but you know, some of these guys, you got look, even with Aljo, I mean, it's a year of abuse. You know, that's why I think I got a little excited in the second round is I want him to know that after all that shit, you were going to get hammered. You, you know, he was going to kill you. You weren't coming out of the first round. You had zero chance. He just controlled the guy for five minutes. Now look at him. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just try to pump him up and, you know, make sure he believes in himself. I just want to double down on it and make sure that he believes in himself. How important is it for you to have a very special type relationship with your fighter? For my coaching style, it's that's the most important thing. Because, you know, it's like I can't do that with 100 people, right? So I can't have like a puppy mill where I got fighters coming in and out and all over the place. I I just thrive off of that. You know, I thrive off of the relationship. I thrive that we're all from Long Island. We all grew up five minutes from each other. I just, it, it just, as a coach, it makes me a bit, you know, makes me more invested in the whole process. And like, like I told, I've been doing interviews like a couple of weeks ago where I said the first fight I was just disconnected 
because I had him for like the first three weeks and I lost him the last three weeks. This time we were all together. He had a great crew with Marab and Al and Dennis Bazooka. And, you know, these guys, you know, when you're gelling together, Dean, right? You know it. Like you're starting to feel good. The coach is starting to feel good. Everybody's together. You just know it's going to be a great fight, you know? And I think that's... But you need that connection to do that. You know, I can't be looking at six other guys while Aljo is training. You know, I have to just be focused on yeah. Aljo. You know, I don't know if that makes sense or not, but, uh, you know, we got so many technically great guys in the gym. Trust me, I, I ask Aljo when I'm analyzing a fight for another fight. I'll go to him for uh, input, you know? So he's a very cerebral, technical guy. It's it's a, it's a And that's the other thing, Dean. It's a group effort. I, I'm getting the accolades and the praise, but I, I got to give it up to a bunch of people, especially in this fight. Those three guys that I was with, he was... He's about as tight as he could be with them. And I, I think that makes a difference. People might say it doesn't. I'm always going to argue that it does. Well, we were talking about bromances earlier, but I got to tell you, I envy your relationships that you have with those guys and the chemistry, because that's one thing that I feel like is important in this game is to have that chemistry with your guys and your team. And I don't think there's a tighter knit group of guys in all of MMA than what you guys have out there in Long Island. Yeah, thanks. And we keep it small for that reason. I don't want 100 guys, Dean. I turn down guys from coming to train. Trust me. You know what I mean? Like, it's, I, I just like that small knit. I think, I think, uh, I just think it goes further than having a room full of people where you're 50% attached instead of 100% attached. So that's, it's worked for me. I'm happy about it. I love, I love my guys. You know, I'll do anything for them. And I think it's vice versa. So, you know, so, uh, you know, even even me and Matt, I mean, come on, to have a friend for 30 years in this business, you know, where you see things go sideways every time. You know, you, you're you at ATT, you know what it was like being in a in a big gym with a lot of personalities. It's not easy to, to do that, you know. And I always tell you this, too, even you and Matt's relationship, I mean, that guy would do anything for you. You guys were battling each other. You were yeah. chirping at each other at the beginning of the day. And it's just, a, to me, that's what it's about, though. Like, you know, who yeah. would think we get here now where everybody's friends? And, and this is true, like, I'm not saying love, but true like, you know what I mean? Like, it's... No, it's, no, it's true love, right? It's about true it. love. No, it's nothing phony about it, man. It is absolutely yeah. true love. And you tell that little meatball that I love him. <laughs> and I love you too, Ray. And I appreciate you coming yeah. on the show. I believe that you should be in the Hall of Fame. They need to make a wing just for you to be in the Hall of uh, Fame. You've done what nobody else has ever done before. And I appreciate you coming on my show today, Ray. Oh, thank Dino. Anything ever for you. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I'm not even joking. And keep killing it. You kill it in between rounds. You're a breath of fresh air. You come in with great insight. And I'm, I'm proud of you, man. I think that's great. That's not an easy thing to do what you're doing. So that's 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 huge. Thank you very much, Ray. Have a good one, man. All right. Take it easy, guys. Thank you very much. Dino, I'll talk to you soon. So that was my boy, Ray Longo. Thank you uh, again, Ray, for coming on. I appreciate your time and your insight. And he's right. You know, having that relationship and that chemistry with your fighters is so important. And I've always admired the relationship that those guys had out in Long Island. But also, I mean, you heard it from Ray's mouth. I mean, Ray said it. He said, it's not just him. It's the whole team environment. But that whole team environment has to be led by somebody. Who is who is Ray Longo? Who is the coach? Because things are brought down from the top. And when the top is right, as Ray is, when the top is proper and the top is correct and the top is doing things for the right reason, everybody and everything is filtered down 
and funneled into that system and you have success. And I think that's the reason why those guys in Long Island have had success from Aljamain Sterling to Chris Weidman to Matt Sarah, Alain Kenta and all the other guys that they got coming up. They've all had success all coming from the same place because of the coaching that they got from Ray Longo. So thanks again, Ray. I truly appreciate you coming on the show. So to answer the question, how important is a coach to a fighter's success? It's everything. You need that guy, that person, that man, that woman, someone to guide you, someone to lead you, someone to have a relationship to take that journey with you. You need them. It is essential in order for a fighter to be successful. You absolutely have to have a great coach. And the last thing I'm going to talk about, I told y'all I was going to talk about three things. The last thing is my what the fuck moment. So I need to talk about some of the crazy moments and the most recent crazy moment that I got to experience. And I got to experience it firsthand. I had the best seat in the house. And I was watching the Hamza Chemaev and Gilbert Burns fight. That was absolutely intense and it was insane and it was bananas. It was like something out of a movie. Hamza Chemaev is probably one of the most top-rated prospects that I have ever seen in the UFC. And not just based on his reputation from what fans say, but also his reputation from coaches, the gyms, and experts, and all these other different authorities that I actually respect and listen to. So I've heard so much about him. We've seen what he's capable of doing. The only question was how he was going to react when he fought a real guy. Gilbert Burns was that real guy. Now, the thing about Gilbert Burns that I knew, I spent some time with Gilbert. I knew that he was an absolute junkyard dog. I I did a Dean Diaries with him. I cornered against him when Tyron fought him. And I remember thinking, sitting in the corner, he he that first flurry against Tyron Woodley, and he knocked Tyron down with a punch. I said, oh, my God, this guy is the truth. And then throughout the fight, I just couldn't I just couldn't wrap my mind around how good this guy was and how much better he was than I expected him to be. So I knew Gilbert Burns was going to be a dog. In fact, I was I was disrespect. I felt disrespected and offended that the fact that he was such an underdog in that fight. I picked him to win just for that reason. I think I may have overcorrected. I picked him to win for that reason. So I was really excited about this fight, as was everybody else in Jacksonville. Now, when Hamzat came out, he sits on the fence. I've never seen that before. And if you see the pictures online, it looks like something, again, out of a movie. I mean, this was a complete Rocky movie. He's sitting on the fence. He's the, the bad guy on the fence. And then here comes Gilbert Burns. As proud as he could possibly be, as confident as possibly he could be. But even, I think, even in Gilbert's mind, he had some questions going into this fight. Like, how good is this guy for real? And when the fight started, you saw that Gilbert had some questions because there were moments in the fight where I think that both of them were kind of like thinking, okay, how good is this guy for real? I think Gilbert was thinking, okay, is he as good as he is projected to be? And I think Hamzat was thinking, I should be able to get rid of this guy as, as quickly as I think I should. I'm as good as everybody says I am. Maybe Hamzat believed some of the hype. But when that fight started and they tangled up, and Gilbert was able to stop those takedowns early. 
and they were able to feel each other. We knew, everybody in that crowd knew that we were going to be in for a good fight. And that fight lived up to every expectation. In fact, it exceeded every expectation. That fight was tremendous. And then when the second round hit and Gilbert dropped him, it was like, oh my, I mean, it was really the point in Rocky Four where he cut Drago. That's what it was like when he dropped him, where he cut Drago and realized that he was human. Because at that point, up into the, the Hamzat fight, you know, you thought Hamzat was just going to run through everybody. And then Gilbert Burns showed that Hamzat was human. And the crowd was totally into I mean, to me, it was probably one of the better moments that I've ever experienced in the UFC in terms of excitement, fight value, expectation, living up to it, exceeding. I mean, it was absolutely bananas. If you haven't seen the fight, you're doing yourself a disservice. Go back and watch that fight. It is crazy. It is one of the better moments you'll ever experience in all of MMA and all of UFC history. Go back and watch the Hamzat, Chemaev, and Gilbert Burns fight. Start from the beginning. Don't just start it at the fight. Start from the walkouts because that is when the excitement begins. That is when the intensity starts to develop and it's a buildup. And then when the fight happens, it's an explosion. And it's one that does not disappoint. I have an honorable mention for my what's the fuck moment of this week. My honorable mention is Jake Paul. Now, Jake Paul, I have to give him credit. He's done a lot for combat sports. I will give him some credit on that. He's brought a lot of attention. He's brought a new demographic to combat sports. I'll give him credit on that. However, and I also give him credit for knocking out Tyron Woodley. I was with Tyron when it happened. I couldn't believe my eyes when I saw it. Knocked him out cold, face first into the floor. Timber! Boom. I still feel it in my chest now thinking about it. He knocked him out. So I got to give him his props for that. However, boxing is a little different than MMA. Boxing is learning one skill set and being able to compete with guys in one skill set. It's a lot easier to do than doing MMA. Learning three disciplines. Striking. Not just boxing, but striking in its totality. With kicks, knees, elbows, clinch work. Different than just boxing. Wrestling. Got to learn that. Now, I know he's wrestled before, so let's give, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. and say that he can wrestle. Grappling completely different it takes years to develop the sensitivity to be able to grapple at a competent level not even a ufc level at a competent level takes years to be able to grapple and understand submissions and positioning and gripping and things like that add striking into it makes it even more difficult if jake paul thinks that he can come into mma and fight a real MMA fighter in the UFC. He's got another thing coming. Now, I know he likes when people doubt him. But I am 100% doubting him. It's easy to go into boxing. Not easy. It's not easy. I'm not going to say that. It's not easy. It's not easy to go into boxing. But to come into MMA and fight at the highest level. Is completely different. Just learning one skill set. And that's boxing. And then having some success there. Going to MMA. I promise you. It will be different. Fight somebody real, and it will be different. You'll find yourself in a hospital. So to answer my questions on what the fuck, go back and watch the Hamzat Chemaev and Gilbert Burns fight. 
I'm Jake Paul. Stay in your lane. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to first say thank you for stopping by to Dean's Got Answers and listening to me talk shit for the last 30 minutes or so. And if you have more questions, don't be afraid to tweet at me. Tweet at me at Dean Thomas, D-I-N Thomas, and I will I will potentially try, I'll at least do my best to get it on. But don't be afraid to tweet at me. Let's see if we got uh, any questions that I can't answer. Thank you for stopping by. We got to talk about these bromances in the UFC. We got to talk about coaching and cornering and how that has an impact on a fighter's career. And then we got to talk about some what-the-fuck moments with Hamza Chamaev, Gilbert Burns, and Jake Paul. But thank you again for stopping by. Tweet at me. You got questions. I got answers. Thank you for tuning in to Dean's Got Answers. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.